0: Let's go to Exodus. Um, and it's going to be Exodus 26, verse 31. And I'm going to be reading out of the King, the New King James Version. Can I get a Yaz when you're there? <laughs> you guys there? Amen? Okay. So it says, You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil... From the clasps, then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy place. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. Uh, verse 36. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, made by a weaver. That's it. <laughs> I was going to keep going. So, a couple of weeks back, a couple of weeks ago, right? Retreat? About a couple of weeks. Um, we went to, uh, to Angelus Oaks. There's a, a retreat center there called um, Alpine Meadows. I totally forgot already. Um, Alpine Meadows, and we were able to gather there and receive just awesome word after word and, and encounter after encounter. Um, and I was, I was privileged enough to be able to speak there. And what I spoke about, I'm going to just recap it a little for you guys so that you're all caught up. So when we were there, what I did is um, God spoke to me about this veil. It's pretty interesting, this veil. Um, When Adam and Eve sinned, uh, that sin, what it caused is it caused a separation between us and our father. So we no longer had that access to him. We no longer were able to freely walk before him or talk to him or just say, hey, God, what's up? Like, we couldn't do that because of sin. And so what God wanted is God didn't want that. He wasn't happy with that. So what he did is he said, make a tabernacle, put some tents together down here, and make this holy place, which is the most holy place, or the holy of holies, and that's where my presence is going to dwell. That's where my spirit is going to descend, because I still want connection with you. I still want to be attached to you. I still want to relate and have relationship with you, but there has to be this veil. There still has to be a separator, because now... Sin is on you. You guys have sinned. So you can't interact with me in the way that I desire because of sin. So let's go to Matthew. And we're going to go to Matthew 27 and scroll or flip all the way down to verse 50. So before we read Matthew... I just want to give you a little, a little bit more on this veil. So like I said, this veil was, um, was a separator between us and God, between his most holy presence and us because of sin. You guys follow? Yeah. Amen? Okay. So in the times of Solomon, um, like I shared at the retreat, they, they no longer um, had tents like they did in the times of Moses. They actually built a big temple. And the veil in the temple was, I think, 60 feet. No, 40, no, yeah, 65 feet. At the end, when when the final temple was built in the times when Jesus walked on this earth, it was 60 feet high. So the people that walked into the temple would see this big curtain, if you guys can imagine a 60-foot curtain in here. So what this sin represented and what this sin served as is it served as a constant reminder for the people of Israel, the people that visited this temple daily, it was a constant reminder that they weren't good enough, that they weren't holy enough, that their mistake was still carrying over, that there was this great separation between them and their God, that they couldn't access God in the way that God intended to be accessed. So, daily or whenever it is that they went, yearly, they had this, this veil that served as a, as a, as a big image. Of, of this blockage, of this separator. Can you guys imagine that? Can you guys imagine just walking in here and encountering a wall or encountering a, a curtain and, and you couldn't feel God's presence because the presence had to remain behind the curtain? And, and what the presence signified was that you couldn't encounter God because you weren't good enough. I, I don't know, that's, that's not good with me. Is it good with you? No? Okay. Let's get interactive, guys. Let's wake up. Can you tell your neighbor, wake up? If you don't tell your neighbor, just yell it to the person across if you don't have one. (laughs) So let's read now in Matthew 27, and we're going to read verse 50. You guys there? Okay. So verse 50 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold... The veil of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom, and the earthquaked and the rocks were split. We'll stop there. Um, but let's actually read that over. <laughs> Verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom, and the earthquaked and the rocks were split. So again, we bring up this temple, I mean this veil. So now let me tell you what happened with this veil. You guys hear? Okay. So what happened with this veil is that this veil became the, represent, the representation of sin because it kept people from encountering God's presence. And at the time that Jesus was on that cross, he also became a, represent, a, a representation of sin, all of our sin. So he was a sinner. So when his body broke, so did the barrier that kept us from him. Can you guys praise God for that? When Jesus' body broke at the cross, so did the barrier that kept us from God. He came to fulfill so much for us. He came to break down all walls that kept you and me from being able to feel God's presence. Jesus did that on that cross for you and I. So that now you and I can come to this place or, you know, stand over our sink washing dishes or whatever and encounter his love and encounter his presence. He did that for us. Can we go to John chapter 10 verse 9? So let's read. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Pasture. So it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So let's actually go now to Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And I love love this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Can you say, you are with me? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So Jesus came so that we would no longer be separated from him he came to give us salvation but not only salvation for our souls so that when we die we get to go to heaven but he he did this he said he is the door he is the door so that we can walk in and be with him now so his sacrifice what he did was not only for us to go to heaven it was for us to enjoy here now And like I said at the retreat, could you guys imagine if it was just about salvation? If it was salvation, and I'm not demeaning salvation. I don't want to, like, put down salvation. Salvation is the best gift we could ever receive. But his sacrifice wasn't just covering salvation for us. If it was that, then could you guys imagine living life, waiting to die, to encounter the one who saved you? What kind of life would that be? You have to wait until you're dead. You live 80, I don't know, some people live 100 and plus years now. And, you know, you, you live this whole lifetime and, and you, you're living to die. But that's not what he did. His sacrifice was to give us salvation, yes, but to, but to ensure our community with him now here. So that we have a purpose-filled life. Amen? So, when he said that he is a door, and that, you know, when, when Psalms 23 talks about, you know, he leads me beside still waters, he makes me lie down in green pastures, what he's talking about there is he's talking about rest now. So now that we're past the veil, now that we've dealt with the veil, so after the veil, now we have rest Now we can have intimacy. We can we can let our guards down and just be with Jesus. Now you can access him. He is the door. Let's go to Revelations. And we're gonna go to chapter three, verse twenty. guys there? Everyone there? All right. How you guys doing so far? You guys good? You guys follow me? You guys all understand? Let me see a show of hands if you understand what we've been talking about so far. Okay. Now, if you don't understand, (laughs) don't raise your hand, (laughs) but talk to me after because I want to make sure that we all get this because um, I believe That what we're talking about when we put it into practice, (laughs) when we put it into practice, it will change our lives. But in order for us to put it into practice, we got to understand it first. Okay, so Revelations three twenty. It says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him." and dine with him, and he with me. (sighs) What does it mean when someone comes over for dinner? What does that mean? It means that they're going to come to your place, they're going to eat there, and most likely you'll have a conversation. (laughs) It will be kind of weird if you come over someone's place and don't say anything, or you don't get to know them. You just sit there, eat their food, and leave, right? That's, that's not cool. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> that's what Jesus is, is actually asking us to do. That's what he's saying that he will do with us. We can go and have dinner, breakfast, lunch. Like, we can have breakfast with him all day. Like We can be with him. And not only eat of his word, but get to know him. Have a conversation with him be in his presence, and be filled by him. Isn't that awesome? Don't, doesn't that make you guys excited? I was listening to a sermon um, a couple days ago by Judah Smith, and uh, he, uh, he said something that, that really impacted me. He said, he said, some of us, I don't remember this like verbatim, but I'm going to paraphrase it according to like how I remember it. He said some of us, we, we, we basically go and get spiritual, like a spiritual buzz. And that buzz wears off. And then it's gone. And then we have to like go next week or go whenever else we go into God's presence to get that spiritual buzz again. And, and, and that's how we relate with God. That's how we have a relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a spiritual buzz. I don't want to have fleeting moments with Jesus. I don't want to have, like, material, meaningless, cliche, religious stuff with him. I want to really know him. And, you know, I'm not up here talking to you about this because I have it all figured out. Last night I had like a breakthrough and a breakdown and just everything was broken. <laughs> and because I I feel like my spirit is fighting within me to understand this. Because my spirit, my spirit wants to understand. My spirit wants to live out and, and be so close to Jesus. But my flesh, oh, I hate my flesh sometimes because we, we accustom our flesh to like Hulu Plus. Thanks, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Netflix, and like, you know, we, we, we spend the whole day sometimes, and we binge watch a show, and it was funny, because in that message, that Judah was preaching, he said, uh, he said that he finds it himself, him and his wife, will like, watch a show, and binge watch a show, and after the show is over, he literally goes through <laughs> like, depression, <laughs> because he needs to find another show to watch, <laughs> and, And I'm sharing that with you because, man, I related to that so much. (laughs) Like me and Mario, (laughs) Mario and I will finish a show and we're like, oh, what are we going to watch next? Like it's so hard to find something that we both like. Um, So I relate to that. But yeah, back to Jesus. (laughs) I don't want to have fleeting moments with him. I want to be excited for him. I want to I wanna live like I'm living for him. Do you guys get what I mean? Like, I, I want to be thirsty for Jesus. But it seems like sometimes, like, we're like, oh, I'll, I won't have, like, Jesus water. I'll have, like, I don't know, something else. But, like, I, I want to be thirsty for Jesus. Like, why aren't we living thirsty for him? Like, why aren't we living n- feeling like we can't get enough of him? Like, man, I can't get enough of Jesus. Like, I just want to, I want more of him. I want to share him with everyone I know. I want to live like that. How about you guys? It's good. We all have desires to do life with somebody. How many of you guys are married in here? How many of you guys uh, have a brother or a sister in here? (laughs) we're all doing life with somebody all of us there may be times where we don't want to like see anybody and just kind of want to not really talk to anyone but in the depths of us we don't want to do life alone even 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 the person that may be depressed if there's someone that's depressed and may feel like they want to be alone that's just the depression talking that's, that's the emotion, that's the attack of the enemy. But deep inside this person, deep inside of all of us, God has made all of us with the desire to want to do life with someone. And I ask myself, I ask myself, Cynthia, where do you, where do you think you get that from? Like, why do you want to be around people? Like, why do you want to not live life alone with like a cat or a dog? Like, why don't you want to be by yourself? And God spoke to me and he said, well, it's because that's how I want to do life. Like, that's how I want to live. Like, that's how I want to spend eternity. I want to spend my eternity with you. Like, I want to do, forget life. I want to do eternity with you. And he's made us with that same desire. So what I want us to do, what I want to challenge us to do is I want us to recalibrate our thinking, recalibrate, like, our, our life and, and think about, like, I want to do life with Jesus. Like, not just, like, a Sunday Jesus, but I want to do, like, an every day, like, every second of the day Jesus. That's what I want. And that's, that's my strong desire for myself. And, again, I don't have this all figured out. Like, I'm, I'm learning as I speak here. Um, but that's, that's my goal for me, is me and my husband. That's our goal. Like, we want to we wanna do life with Jesus. Amen? So I want to talk to you guys about the relationship that we have with him. And I have a couple of signs. Uh, and these signs are indicators that your relationship with Jesus or your relationship might be a little rocky. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, oh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Okay, so these are some signs, Kevin, <laughs> uh, that your relationship might be a little rocky. If you panic in life, if you doubt, if you're doubtful, if you feel like your faith, like you don't have enough faith, or, or you doubt about things that are happening in life, good things, or if you are constantly questioning your stance, like where do I stand with God? Am I really saved? Does he really love me? Am I really forgiven? Those are indicators that your relationship might not be on point. And let me show you why. I know this. Can we go to John, please? We're going to go to the book of John, verse 13, verse 21. You guys there? Okay, so it says, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke about. Now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, Simon Peter, therefore mentioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Let's read that one more time. Verse 21, and I'm reading the NLT. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I will tell you the truth, one of you will betray me the disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could mean the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to him at the table simon peter motioned to him to ask who he's talking about <laughs> so that so that disciple leaned over to jesus and asked the lord who is it so let me let me just kind of explain the scenario to you so you know, Jesus is having this moment because, you know, Judas is about to do his thing. And he's having this moment and he's saying, they're all at the table. And he says, one of you guys is going to, like, one of you guys is going to betray me. And they all go into panic. All the disciples go into panic. And all of them doubt. And all of them start questioning their stance. All of them accept One. And that was John. While Jesus is going through this, John is like chilling on his chest. But everybody else is going crazy. They're all panicking, doubting, and questioning where they stand. And Peter, (laughs) we got to love Peter. (laughs) I was telling my husband about this, and my husband's like, Peter was like... (laughs) I guess it's Central American thing. I don't point or gesture like that, but I guess Central Americans they they point like this. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> so I was talking to him, and he's like, Peter was like, <laughs> but but John was chilling. Can you guys say John was chilling? John was real chill. He was just on his chest. Like, he wasn't worried. Why wasn't he worried? Mario, why do you think he wasn't worried? (laughs) Relationship? What about it? He was confident? Okay. Kevin, what do you think? I like that he knew who he belonged to we're going to get interactive okay brace yourself for this I might call on you Um, but John wasn't worried because he knew where he stood there was no room for panic in his heart there was no, no room for doubt in his mind he was sure of who he was I mean he called himself the one that Jesus loved for goodness sake like he was so sure of who he was So he wasn't going to panic because his relationship was on point with God. His intimacy was there. And that's what God wants with us. He wants relationship with us and he wants intimacy with us. Amen. So sometimes this stuff happens to us. Um, When I first read this this next verse or next set of verses that I'm going to read to you, I kind of had a Paul, I mean a, a Peter moment as well. So if you guys want to join me in Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew 7. Verse 21. And so what happened with the disciples just a little bit ago with their panic. Is what, is what happens to us here when we read this. If we're if we're not in intimacy with God, you guys there? Okay. So it says. Oh, and I'm going to read the message version. Is it up there already? Okay. Cool. Okay. So it says, knowing the correct password, saying "master, master," for instance. Isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Sorry. Serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment. Thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preach the message, we bash the demons, our God sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. And we'll stop there. When I first read this verse, I went into panic, doubt, and questioning everything. Because I thought, oh, no i'm i'm doing these things (laughs) like what's gonna happen god like you know it it caused me to live in fear of this verse really and uh, i thought oh my gosh like i don't want to i don't want to make it to to the judge like to to judgment day and have god and have jesus say depart from me i don't know you that was one of my biggest fears or actually that was my biggest fear going before Jesus and having him say, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. But see, the thing here is that if we really look at how these people responded and what they said, it really tells a lot about their relationship. When I was reading this, God, God was telling me, pay attention to how they respond and really think about how you would respond is that what would come out of your heart? Would you try to negotiate with me? Would you try to impress me and remind me of what you've done as if I don't know what your life was like? And I said, no, I don't, I don't think I would do that. I don't, I don't think I would do that, God. So their reactions tells a lot about where they stood in life and what their relationship looked like. You guys follow? Amen? Okay. Let's keep reading. Let's go to um, verse 24. It says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life or homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words that are found. I'm sorry. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, You are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Verse 26 says, but if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, You are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. You guys get it? I want to build my house on the rock. I want to have my foundation on Jesus. I want to have a relationship with him. And when I have a relationship with him, and I don't need to worry about judgment day. I don't need to live in fear of Jesus' return. I'm going to live feeling like I can't wait for his return. So, what's the big deal with what you're talking about? Like, what? why do... I don't know if you guys are asking, like, what is really, like, the seriousness of of having a relationship with Jesus? Like, what's the big deal about it? Like, why is it so important to have a relationship with him? This is what I think when I think, well, what's the big deal? Like, why get to know Jesus? This is my answer. I answer with a question. If you know me, I question a lot. Um, But this is my answer. My answer to myself was, have you been in his presence? Like, have you encountered him? Like, just in an encounter with him, you really realize why you get to know him. When I'm in his presence, when I'm in his spirit, I feel purposeful. I feel fulfilled. I feel accomplished. I feel successful. I feel loved. I feel like a child. I feel like a queen. I feel like I am his righteous one. That's what I feel when I'm in his presence. I feel like he loves me. I feel like I can do eternity with him. Have you ever been in the presence and just kind of like felt like, oh please don't stop? Like let's just let's just be here forever. That's how I feel. That's how we all should feel. If you don't already, that's what we we should feel is 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 we can do eternity with you. And that's why we want to get to know you. Because he makes us us, he makes us alive. And I don't know about you. I don't know how you were before you came to him. I don't know how you were before you knew anything about Jesus. But I know how I was, and, and I was lost. I, I didn't feel good about myself. While I felt like I had everything I needed materially, spiritually I felt like I didn't have anything. And, and I, I, I remember walking life feeling a void, feeling unloved, feeling just a lot of stuff that wasn't good for me, things that would constantly bring me down. When I was 13 years old, or actually, I think I was maybe 11 years old, I remember I was in my room, and I've always had a tough time with my parents. Um, My relationship with them has always been a little tough and a little difficult. So I remember I was 11 years old, and I, I remember feeling so depressed and feeling so unloved by my mom and so unloved by my dad and just feeling like I didn't fit in and just feeling like there was no purpose for me. And I remember I went to the kitchen and I, I grabbed a knife, and I thought, I'm just going to, like, split my veins because there's no point for me to be in this world anymore. Like, there's no point for me to live here anymore because my parents, like, for goodness sake, the people that should love me, that, that gave birth to me, I felt like they didn't love me. I felt like I didn't have a place in my, in my family. And I thought, if I don't have a place with my family, then where am I going to have a place? And so at that moment, I felt like I, I didn't have a purpose. Like my life was pointless. And I remember that feeling carried on for a long time until I met Jesus. Until he came to my life. He makes us whole. Amen? So let's, let's go to Matthew just a couple chapters over, actually quite a couple. Uh, chapter 22. And we're going to read verse 37. So if you're sitting there and you're wondering, how do I love Jesus? Like, how do I have a relationship with him? What do I do? Like, point me somewhere. Help me out here. This is, this is what you do. So we're going to go to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37. And it says... Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list, but there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hang from them. So Jesus said, love your Lord, love the Lord your God with all your passion, prayer, and intelligence. Passion, prayer, and intelligence. This is the most important. Just love God. Recognize what he's done for you. And love him for it. We're almost done. (laughs) Let's go to John again. We're going to go to John 14. And we're going to go to verse 21. And it says, the person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. The person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and make myself plain to him. Amen? So if we could just, before we finish, this is the last verse I promise that we're going to read. Let's go to Revelations 3.20 again. Before we read it, I want to talk to you a little bit about what God has been talking to us. Well, God has been talking to your leaders, to the leaders of this church. God has been, it, it's so awesome, honestly. Like, I love being in this church because I feel like, you know, sometimes you feel like you have control over things and you feel like you're the one with the direction. But it's not you. Like, it never is you. It really has been God. Like, every step of the way, it has been God. And it, it's so funny. Like, he, he's guided us for what like into the next space that we needed to be in and this next new space is a space that we need to go into into and so um, what he's been speaking to us about is community and when we thought about community we were in a board meeting and it came up and we're talking about you know having community and having um, having that with each other you know loving on each other more being there for one another more because this is what God wants us to do he wants us to love one another So we're talking about that. And that's really what it was about. But then when I was reading this, God was saying to me, he was saying, yeah, I want you to have community with each other. I want that to be an emphasis in your church. But that community that you're going to have isn't only with each other, but it's also with me. Like I want you guys as leaders to teach everyone how to not only have community with each other, but community with him. And so that's where we're going into as a church. And I'm not going to talk about it a lot, but just brace yourselves. That's what we're going into is community with each other and community with our Father. Amen? So let's read this verse one more time. I'll just read it up here. It says, uh, look here, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in. And I will share a meal as friends. Brothers and sisters, this is what the Lord wants. This is what Jesus wants with you. He wants to have dinner with you. He wants to eat Chick-fil-A with you, except on a Sunday because it's closed. I'm sorry, Shirley. But he wants, to, he wants to have a meal with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to get to know you. So my challenge for you is I know maybe some of you think, well, I already know God. But my challenge for you is get to know him better. Amen. All right, let's pray.